Welcome to the Luminous Life Podcast. I'm Erica Menento, your host, and in each episode, we'll talk to women about how they are living their most luminous lives. We'll hear about the moments where their beauty, skin, and soul fuse together to pick them up, dust them off, and create change and impact they never thought was possible. It's never easy, and here, they'll share how they did it and what they're doing next. Erin Tashin, a 30-year educator in one of the country's most competitive school districts, founded The Whole Learner after a moment of clarity told her, Erin, you just can't keep doing what you've been doing. Through a dedicated mindfulness practice of her own, Erin rooted into the belief that it is the responsibility of educators to create classroom communities that support students in excelling both academically and emotionally without losing the edge they need to succeed and compete in the 21st century. The Whole Learner is a professional development program that creates a movement of teachers so aligned to their purpose that they feel better and they create classrooms full of children who feel better too. The result, critical thinking and high achievement paired with self-awareness. Oh and their test scores rise too. Erin, my dear, dear friend, thank you for being here today and sharing your story with us. Ooh, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> We've taken our last appointments to a podcast. To a podcast. I know. I know. We always talked about doing this, you know. We did. Yeah. It's exciting to kind of be able to share. I think, like, I've seen so much of a transformation in you in, <laughs> in the decade that we've known each other. So I really want to hear about that moment six years ago where you knew that you just couldn't do it anymore. Can you tell us what it was and and what that moment was? I mean, there was a big part. I mean, I I think that it was I couldn't really continue teaching the way I was teaching anymore. I was feeling super overwhelmed and um, not competent in the classroom, even though, you know, People would say I was successful and I was showing up every day. My kids were doing well. I just um, was feeling like I was at a place where I couldn't manage it anymore. And I was overwhelmed and not happy. And I knew, in my heart, I knew that that was translating in the classroom on some level. Now I know that energy is contagious, so I'm sure my kids were picking up on it. But I just, I I got to a place where I I just didn't feel like I had it in me to continue to do it. And I was only like 25 years in. So I knew I had to do it. 25 years in when right. you started feeling that way. 24, 25. And I knew I had to do it. So it wasn't like I, as much right, as you I. You couldn't walk away from your job. Well, I thought I, I mean, yes, I couldn't. But I went in and said to my principal, like, I need to, you either need to move me or I need to quit. It's crazy. Yeah. So I remember, so I was a teacher a million years ago, right? And I remember many teachers who were feeling overwhelmed and stressed and like they couldn't do it one more day, but they were showing up every day. And mm-hmm. I remember that teacher's room where energy was contagious. There were teachers that would like. It wasn't, po- it wasn't positive energy. No, was it wasn't positive. Right. No, yeah. no, no. It was like it would suck the life yeah. out of the teachers. So the fact that that's not the norm. Like I just thought that kind of was the norm, which is I think ultimately why I left teaching. Yeah. Um the fact that it's not the norm and that you're saying it here, hopefully for other young teachers to hear or other teachers in general, if they're feeling overwhelmed. There's another way. There's another way. So well, so, so talk about that, that other way. Like you said, okay, I either need to leave or 
you have to pull me out of the classroom. Something had to change. Something right. had to change. Right. So what, what what was that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I wish I could say exactly what it was, but I, I think I needed to change the way I was looking at my relationship to the classroom. But I think that that didn't come right away, but I think it came from, you know, probably a little bit more in-depth work on myself and really looking at um, kids. And, I mean, what, what was really... I think profound for me was I knew kids were struggling so much Mm -hmm. and I'm super empathic and I feel very connected to kids, especially kids that struggle. So watching them struggle was really hard for me. So what does that mean? Well, how, how are kids struggling? How were they struggling? How are they struggling now? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that I noticed and I'm still noticing is like this inability to pay attention, to focus, to, um, self-regulate when they need to. And so for non-teacher people, uh, what does what self-regulate mean? It means like just become super aware that I'm totally in a zone or I'm feeling something and I can't get out of it, like my mind is being carried away. Um, but th- they just were seemingly distant and distracted and um, not really connected to themselves. And I, at the time, I, mean, I don't know if I knew it at the time, but I know now that a lot of that had to do with technology and, um, and, and, and the amount that I think kids had on their plate or have on their plate now that has changed, right? Right, especially because your district is notoriously rigorous. Mm -hmm. So when this whole thing happened, like I think sometimes you're in other districts, you can sort of do all this experimental stuff and not worry about how it affects scores. The scores. Yeah. Yeah. But you had to stay on top of that as you made changes. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't in the forefront. Like, I, I because I had been teaching a long time, I knew that my reputation would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to tell you, I didn't think about scores. At the time, my evaluation was now tied to scores. But <clears throat> I think at, also at the time, teaching was very much connected to, like, the end result, which was the score. So everything we did tied to that score. And I just felt... Um, that, I, that didn't sit right with me. And the more I pulled back and did more social-emotional awareness and learning in the classroom, um, I did a little bit less content work, and the more my scores improved. So that okay. was enough for me. It was enough for my principal to say there was something to what so, was going on. I know we just jumped a huge no, chunk. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. There's just I, I, there's so much to talk about, and I feel like I love like teacher language, but there's so yeah. many parents here who are watching their kids struggle and maybe don't have the teacher language so we have to like bridge that so like what does social emotional mean what does that mean in the classroom and how does it affect their learning um so social emotional awareness or learning has to do with developing relationships self-regulation paying attention to your emotions being able to manage your emotions so within yourself folks, yes, yes and also with other people yes no? because it's also part of that is being able to have uh, relationships with others and work okay. together um, which okay. most schools have social emotional curriculums but in my experience they were um, isolated curriculums that were like checking the box yes we teach kids in like an open circle to talk about their feelings but it wasn't embedded in part of the classroom culture which that's you know what I'm into is not making it like an isolated skill but rather part of what we're we're developing in the classroom so how we relate or how kids relate to, re- to ourselves and to others and to each other. Right. I remember you telling me like very early on as you were developing sort of exercises because you were working with kids initially and we're going to talk about that. Right. But I remember you telling me that you were holding up to kids like pictures 
It wasn't even oh, yeah. pictures. It might have been you. Of oh, like I, I knitted my me, brows. Right? You, right. You tried to you furrowed your brow yes. or you made your brows like big and they didn't know what it meant. No, right. Like there was no uh, awareness aware. around like facial expressions and body language in the same so way crazy. that maybe we would have had, but because they're not uh, interpersonally as connected as we were. In person. They're right. they're connected but, online. Right. Right. But, but not in person. But not in person. Right. Or they're seeing less, I would say. So so you have this moment, you're 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 like something has to change. Right. What change what changes did you make immediately to figure all that out? <laughs> I don't I don't know. What changes did I make immediately? I think I started to explore myself because I knew that that was the only thing I could change. Mm-hmm. Right. Because also at the same time I was witnessing my own kids struggling sure. just as much as my kids in school. Sure. And I just started to do a little bit more work on myself and identify how I really could uh, pay attention to what I could control, which was how I showed up every single day. And I started doing a little bit more yoga because mm-hmm. everybody says yoga is the end all be all to everything, right? And it is. And it is. But at I the know, time I was weird, like, all right, right, but I'm not good at it. Right. Um, and you were an athlete. You were like a workouter. I know, but I'm not bendy or flexible. No, but you. No, but I, before that, I would oh, think. Oh, always. Yeah, you were like physical yes. and all those things. Yes. But like. But never yoga. But never, And you didn't think you could get a workout from yoga, right? I didn't. And I just, you know, I mean, I think the whole idea was that I wasn't flexible and I just resisted. But what I, lo- what I found that I loved about yoga was Shavasana. Right. Which, that was it for me. Once I started to, and do you want me to unpack that? Yeah, yeah. So what is, what is Shavasana? Shavasana right. is that final resting pose that mm-hmm. a teacher brings you into a deep relaxation and meditation. And that, for me, was the ticket that I was hooked, you know. Really? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, it, it took me a little while because I think that also part of my process at the time, still part of my process, is mm-hmm. that I am, uh, you know, a recovering perfectionist, I like to say. So yoga was this place where I could shame myself into feeling like I wasn't as good as, any, as everybody right. else, right? Oh. But in Shavasana, I mean, who can't lay there and do that? So I can relate to that. Like you (laughs) don't even know. And um, my YTT, which is a yoga teacher training for people who don't know, like cured me of that. Like I knew that I could show up to yoga and think I wasn't going to do what the person next to me did or what the person in front of me did. But going in that deep, like cured me of that. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to do what you do. And you're not going to do what I do. And And that's okay. Yeah. But that recovering perfectionism. Oh, my God. I can so relate to that. It gives me the chills. I know. To think about it. I remember you, too, really developing a morning practice yes like that a different morning practice. a different morning right. practice yes. right yes because I always had a morning practice where I would get up and exercise but I started a quieter morning practice of getting up and journaling and reading but that was all part of YTT because then after getting into yoga I you know I'm a lifelong learner and I decided actually to be honest it was after you did YTT <laughs> raving about it I uh, decided that that was something that I should you know, deepen my understanding of yoga and how the mindfulness could impact me because I was feeling it, um, but I wanted to learn more about it. So I did YTT not with the intention of teaching. I knew I was never going right. to teach yoga, but I wanted to learn more about that. And because of that um, that process, I developed that journaling in the morning and the quieter morning mm-hmm. of meditation and for me, actually, it wasn't meditation right away. It was deep reading and journaling, yeah. and yeah. that was it. I was like, I can do this in the classroom. Before meditation, I can journal so, and deep read, okay, and analyze a different, uh, analyze text in a different way. Oh, right, so good. not for the test, but analyze text to make a difference in 
in kids' lives or in the way they think or the way they relate to each uh. other. That's when, like, I started to go, this this is something I want to do in my classroom. Okay. Well, first of all, that's amazing. Like, it just <laughs> stops me in my tracks because as a lifelong learner and a lover of language and reading and all of that, I know how when a teacher shifts in that direction, it, I mean, it, it opens things up for so many students. Yeah, but it's pur- purposeful in another way, right? So you said, no more, can't do it like this anymore. Right. Then you started to develop your morning practice. Then you went to YTT. Yep. Yeah. YTT first. Then morning YTT pra- first. Then, then morning, practice, morning practice. Yeah. And then the whole learner was born. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I. I th- yes, because I was I was starting some of these practices in the classroom, and I thought, you know, this is something I could do outside of the classroom. In the classroom, I could really make an impact. Um, with kids, because I was also exper- experimenting with it at home with my own kids. Right. And I remember that. I remember yes. when you were doing it with your kids, Yeah, too. a little bit of meditation. Actually, a lot of bit of meditation. And I really thought that's what I wanted to do. To and bring that to the classroom. To bring it to kids, because yeah. I knew kids were struggling. But then yeah. I had this moment of, you know, realizing it was my big kid, my little kid, that was still struggling. And I was really trying to heal myself mm. through this whole thing. So that was a little bit more of an eye-opener. Erin, that is some truth I know. right there. I know. That is some truth. Because we talk about it like, oh, I had this moment where I couldn't do it anymore, and then I did this, and then I did that. But the truth is, none of this was easy. No. It was it was hard. It was yeah. emotional. It yeah. was difficult. And it was very vulnerable because I realized, you know, I started to think back to maybe that's why I became a teacher was to really heal myself. I didn't think that at the time when Mm -hmm. I was 22, but I definitely had an affinity towards kids and wounded kids, you know, whatever that Uh. looked like. So really that was, I think now in my little bit more of my conscious state, that was me trying to heal myself. So what did you find when you looked at your inner child? That she was very needy in a, in a positive way, but Mm -hmm. just, she wanted her voice heard and she wanted to be seen and, and then I realized that's pretty much what everybody wants, right? I could get totally emotional now because <laughs> I I remember you going through this. Yeah. yeah. And the finding the voice was a thing. It's huge thing. So can you talk about that? Like what would prevent you from finding your voice? Well, I was I was living a story, right? Which is that I was doing what everybody wanted me to do. Or or at least that's the way I see it now. But I, I think I was living this story of I had followed a path that I thought I was supposed to do because that's what everybody in my family did. And um, I think that finding my voice meant me really trying to figure out who I was and, um, Mm. you know, take apart the layers and really uncover who I truly am and then fully express that. Mm. And then that's when the whole learner shifted, I think, again. I'm so glad we're talking about this because it's not, you know, we've done a few podcasts before this, and it's not something that anybody's tapped into yet. There is that moment when you're looking at really being your most Mm self-actualized, most authentic Mm -hmm. self that you have to pay attention to the eight-year-old Aaron or the 10-year-old Aaron or the 15-year-old Aaron. And and I mean, I think anybody who's making impacts is, you know, is going through that. And it's not no. easy. I mean, you don't have to pay attention. You, you can don't. start doing right. other things. Right. So as you don't pay attention. Right. But I definitely was on a, path, a journey and I was, it, it was hard to avoid that piece. So you started working with the kids. Yeah. And doing the meditation. Mm-hmm. And then 
that and mindfulness other- throughout like the entire class period. It wasn't just like isolated mindfulness, but I tried to bring it throughout every aspect of what we were doing. I remember when it was you were doing it in smaller pieces and you were saying, Erica, I'm greeting them at the door. Yes. And it was that was like the piece. Yeah. And then the practice became a little longer in the beginning of class. Yes. And then there was a closing practice. And then you were like, I'm doing it throughout the whole class. Mm -hmm. And the results were? Kids loved it. I mean, the results were amazing on the academic side in the sense that scores continued to climb, uh, but I didn't really care about that as much. My district did. Yeah. um, And my principal did. But I really cared about the fact that kids were feeling better or they were reporting to me that they felt better. It's funny, today I just had a boy say to me, it's like, feel good Friday, I can't wait to meditate. I mean, it was like, that's when you hear that from a 14-year-old boy and a boy in eighth grade, you know, plus it opens the conversation. I was like, are you having a bad day? And he's like, no, I just need to relax, you know. But Mm -hmm. just that awareness, you know, 10 years ago, they wouldn't have had that in my classroom because I wasn't there yet. So that's the kind of uh, work that I think is really meaningful and, you know, my superintendent doesn't know that because mm-hmm. he's not in my room. He sees the scores. But I know that. My kids know that. Right. So. And, and you were you were really intentional about measuring yes. the success of these, like, practices or these tactics that you had in your class, yeah. right? Anecdotally. So you, I mean, anecdotally. Right. You, but you were looking for feedback from the kids. Mm-hmm. You were looking for, you know, f- for real evidence that this was working or not working. Yes. And you got it. I did. I mean, I had my principal ask me, you know, what are you doing? Your scores are going up, you know. And it was, I actually am doing less content and more mindfulness. Air. Yes. What's mindfulness? What is mindfulness? Mm-hmm. It's being in the present moment, aware of your thoughts, sensations, and feelings, all without judgment. Air. Yes. Is mindfulness meditation? No. No, right? No, no. I feel like some people well, it's think syno- about- people think it's synonymous, but it's not. It's not no, synonymous. No, you can be mindful without meditating. I think meditation helps you become more mindful. It's a mm-hmm. mindful practice, but I don't think you. I mean, I think there are probably meditation gur- gurus who would disagree with me, but I think that you can become mindful and self-aware because I I tether that word awareness to mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It's about and and that's the recovering perfectionist side in me that makes me feel like I can relax because mindfulness isn't perfection, it's the awareness mm-hmm. of self of of being in the present moment or not. And it's still okay because right. you don't have to judge it. You could you be, don't have to shame yourself. Right. Right. You could be mindful in a conversation or like not, we're being mindful. But just be aware of it. Right. <laughs> and you're still being mindful. Right. And we're trying to be mindful. <laughs> yeah. Right. You could be mindful when you're Eating a bowl of ice cream or not. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But I don't think you have to meditate. And, you know, honestly, I think there's a lot of people that that is freeing when you hear that you don't have to meditate. Right, 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 right. You can practice mindfulness other ways. So you're working with your kids on mindfulness. Mm -hmm. You're doing less content, more mindfulness practices. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other shift where you said... Um, I just started to think about the impact, and as much as I felt like I was impacting kids, I thought the greater impact would be to work with teachers because no one was really helping teachers develop their own emotional awareness. And that's when I thought, you know, that's someplace where I think I could be. um, Because were you starting to feel better in the classroom? I was starting to feel better in the classroom, but I knew that there was something more that I wanted to do. And I think I was, 
you know, my classroom has always been like a revolving door for teachers. People would come in and they'd talk and they'd dump and, you know, I, I, I listen a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize like everybody's feeling, you know, there's a need right mm-hmm. now for supporting teachers um, because I knew education had changed and I was feeling it. And so then I started to think, you know, maybe that's a better way to impact a broader group of children by right. supporting the people that are you know, on the front lines with them as much. It's a, it yeah. was such a smart way to look at it. I thought like, wait, what is this hard turn? What do you mean? And you were you were so clear. You said, Erica, we have to impact more people. This can yeah. really help more people. So yeah. you have to get to the teachers. I was. Yeah. And nobody's helping teachers. Right. No one. So I have heard you talk about this and, and I'd like you to kind of like explain to people what that means. What do you mean nobody's helping teachers? I mean, it sounds like a like complaint, but I'm not really complaining. But I'm just shedding light on the fact that teachers um, are not getting the support emotionally mm-hmm. um, that I think other professions get that deal with, you know, high levels of stress and trauma. I mean, I could, you know, I could take it from a large scale to a small scale. But, like, even just thinking about um, we have uh, – I'm losing my words. We have um, intruder alerts now. Right. Right. Once once every other week. Right. That is extremely traumatic, whether there's someone in the building right. or not, because you, we don't know. Right. So I've sat in an, an intruder drill for 15 minutes and I've sat for an hour. Oh, my gosh. And that's traumatic right. when you're trying to keep kids calm. Because you don't know if it's you don't real know. or not. Yeah. And that's the reality that people don't realize. I mean, I, I wanted to audio tape the other day the intruder alert, just the, the flashing lights, the, you know, the there's an you know, intruder, intruder. I mean, the alarm, it, yeah. And, and trying to keep kids calm and right. feel safe. And, and that's just one little bit of it. Never mind dealing with kids who are struggling emotionally with anxiety, with depression. I mean... That's in the classroom so much more than it ever was. Right. And no one is supporting teachers, you know, in helping them with right. that. And when the alert's over, you're just supposed to get back to learning. Yeah. And just be And like, not talk about it. Right. And I got your back and everything is good. Oof. And let's pretend that didn't exist. And That's intense. Yeah. Or And, and teachers deal with the loss of students and, right. you know, being maybe physically assaulted by a student. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of support, you know. So right. I and just, and we, we talk about, like... Um, I always talk about when I was a teacher and then when I left teaching, I would be in like social situations where people would then start dogging teachers, right? Mm. And like, oh, they only work 180 days a year. They get the summers off or that kind of stuff. And I felt like there were more people that were dogging teachers than were supporting (laughs) teachers. But when you look at you're going through these intruder alerts, you're going through, you know, difficult emotional things, even, you know, um, current event kind of things. With our children. Right. And you're trying to process your own emotions. Right. I mean, just you could right. take elections, right? You're right. still trying to process your own emotions, and then you've got to come into the classroom and process, maybe, depending on the age, the emotions mm-hmm. of your students. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. I was a teacher during um, 9-11, mm-hmm. when 9-11 happened, and I just remember the hours and hours and hours of trying to keep kids calm mm-hmm. when inside – like it, uh, uh, I was a wreck, yeah. you know, and um, I, it never occurred to me that wow, I wish I had that support where maybe after the kids left school we could talk to a professional or maybe we could have, you know, somebody to to guide us through it because, yeah. I mean, your nervous system can get shot. Totally, you're just shot. It's like your anxiety and uh-huh. all of that. Uh-huh. So, 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 
So the whole learner then sort of shifted mm-hmm. into providing support right. for teachers. Right. In what ways, Erin? So I, I shifted because I, I felt that um, what districts were doing really well was providing professional development. You know, mm-hmm. every district has to, a certain number of professional development days that teachers have to be part of. We have to put in so many hours, which is great um, because it's good to hear the latest, the greatest, the newest, and, mm-hmm. you know, strategies and techniques. Um, but nobody was offering personal development. And so I thought that if I created something that fused both, starting with personal development, then that would be A, unique, but be really beneficial for the district, but also for the teacher. So to me, it was a win on both ends because nobody's developing them personally. So smart. So I thought if I could start with a personal development, which eventually could trickle into the classroom, then it's also professional development too. Much like? Much the way it worked for me, right? So, you know, the journaling and the deep reading was something that impacted me that I was able to then bring into the classroom. But it has to start, any of that stuff has to start with the teacher in the same way that, you know, if, I, if I'm if i teaching math, I'm not going to be able to express that I love it because I don't love math. Like, they right. see right through it. So I thought that if we could get teachers to tap into their own emotional struggles and in their own personal development, then they'd be able to do that for their kids and guide them through that in the classroom. But if teachers are not developing personally, that's not going to happen in the classroom. Right. Right. And the fact of the matter is, is that we have to support our kids. I mean, I don't know a parent right now that would say to you, no, kids are doing fine. They're not struggling at all. That's not struggling so social emotionally. Mm-hmm. Is that how you would say? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, emotionally with the anxiety or um, with regulating their own emotions, things like that. So, or just even walking them through feelings. I mean, I, I think that we are now at, at a, in a place with kids that, well, certainly I would say 10 years and on that are, you know, those kids that are involved in social media or any kind of place where they're seeing what other kids are doing, if we're not talking about that emotionality around that, right. we're doing a disservice because they're all feeling it. You can't look, I mean, we're all feeling it as right. adults. You can't look at somebody else's post and be like, oh yeah, they're at you know Coachella and I'm not. Hmm, I feel great. Like, right. it's just, it's, it's not reality. They're feeling it, but if we're not talking about it, they're just, who knows what's happening with those feelings or how it's internalizing. And what about teachers or parents who say, it's not your job to do that. It's your job to just teach, to just stick with the content, teach the vocab, teach the math, teach the science. Um, Teachers shouldn't be involved in that. I would say that you cannot teach to the mind until you teach to the heart. Damn, Aaron. That's what I would say. I mean, there's no way that I could, I mean, I think about it, the content that I'm teaching, I could make it as creative and as, but if you can't pay attention to me, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. You can't retain it. Right. Or if you're so anxious because you're in my room, you're not hearing it. That's the thing. Right. You're not able to work with somebody else. Right. Even in that most basic way. Mm -hmm. If you're so anxious from what happened at your sports game the night before, what's going on in your family, um, what you're doing this weekend, blah, blah, blah. If you're so anxious that you can't sit down to focus on right. the content. Right. It doesn't matter what the content is. It doesn't matter what the content is. Right. And we have, I mean, that's what's happening with kids. And they want to feel like they're in, envir- in an environment that's safe, that understands what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know that kids are super in touch with what they're going through, but I, I, I think they can be walked to it, hmm. you know. Okay. Well, so, so that brings up, I think... Um, well, first, let me ask you this. Yeah. Was it hard deciding 
to do the whole learner? Yes, because I had to. Well, first of all, yes, because I had to finally acknowledge that I was worthy. Mm. <laughs> Which is worthy of? Worthy of being seen yeah. and putting myself out there and saying, you know, I'm going to try something totally different and be vulnerable and be in front of people. You know, I, I never had an issue being front, in front of kids, mm -hmm. but really stepping up and saying, I've done a lot of work on myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not, and I'm, I'm so not done. Mm -hmm. um, but like there's value in this that I know I could share with someone else. I think that that's like one of the things about starting businesses or whatever that a lot of people don't talk about is that once you decide that you know that you want to make an impact in a certain way, you have to then sort of ex accept that you're going to be an expert on it. Right. You have to present yourself. Scary. It's so scary. Right. You have to you personally have yeah. to present yourself to districts to say, yes, this is what I have to offer. And boy, I, I mean, I hear when you do it. I hear about when you do it. And it, it takes bravery and it does take believing in your own voice. It does. And but there's always that, you know, my narrative back there of like, what, who are you to be telling right. them what they should be doing when you're still struggling with the way you're showing up in your classroom all the time? But I think that that's where there's value there. And I think the workshops, you know, when I, when teachers resonate with me the most, it's because mm -hmm. I say to them, I am struggling right there with you. Right. Right. I'm just sharing a process that some that works for me, mm -hmm. but I'm struggling right there with you. And that's different than I would go to other professional development days where nobody would be that would be a teacher that was presenting they would mm -hmm. be psychologists or you know they'd work for an educational consulting company or they right. might be a publisher right but nobody knew what it was like to be in the classroom real and time it, no no right so i think that that's there's value because i do try to share that you know i'm still struggling also right and that it's not perfect no no right no and, and these are just tools that i think can help um and i'm willing to share them but yeah it's hard you know, I hear also like this feedback that you're getting from your districts and, and from other teachers. And I have people reaching out to me saying like, hey, your friend Erin, could she do a workshop for me or for my teacher friends or whatever? How do people find out more about how to attend a whole learner workshop, um, how to get involved or where to see you speak? I mean, I guess my website mm -hmm. or which is www.erintashin.com okay. or on Instagram at underscore the whole learner. Okay. Um, and your website is erintashin. Okay. And dot Instagram. Com, yeah. mm -hmm. Okay. The whole learner. Yeah. Okay. Um, er, I want to ask you this question and I, 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 it's, I feel like it's a little bit of a loaded question, <laughs> but. It's okay. <laughs> I think parents are listening, and I, th I think it's a unique opportunity to talk to parents, to tune in to their kids. What aren't we talking about in education? Um, I would say we're not talking about addiction to technology or addiction to games. Okay. Well, I have two things. Okay, okay. And the other one is porn. In education. I just, I don't know in education, but with kids. Are they connected? The addiction to technology and the porn. To, uh, are they connected? Uh, no, I don't see them co as connected. I mean, I, I'll, I'll separate them. So the addiction with technology, um, from my viewpoint, and this is my own struggle with my own kids, mm -hmm. is obviously getting kids off of it or taking breaks or putting it down or not reaching for it in the moment of stillness, right? Okay. And in the classroom, 
I teach middle school, so my kids uh, are older, but they've figured out a way to game on their Chromebooks outside of the server. So the Chromebooks are given to them by the district. Yes. And there we are, are a servers, one-to-one district, right. Right, and there are servers that are built so that they cannot access unschool-like things. Correct. Um, or download things. Or download things. And there are certain things that are blocked that I don't think – I have not heard anybody been able to figure that part out. Mm-hmm. But And I also have a system that I can log into and see what's on everybody's screen in my room. But they can find a way to open a new tab behind that system. They, and they I'm not so technologically the... savvy to know no. what that even means. Right. But I will tell you that they – and they're very candid about it. You know, and I would say it's more boys than it is girls. Mm-hmm. But when they're spo- when they're given time to do work, um, they will often click over to a game and game for a little bit. And I totally get that because it's the first thing adults do when there's a few minutes. You pick up your phone and you look at it, right? right. Um, so there's that addictive piece that I don't even know that they're aware of that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it from the teacher end, it's really hard because I. Th- I don't think they want to be, but mm-hmm. I think uh, they just are. They they can't regulate, or they don't. They're not aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Even for us, it's hard, right? Like if we're out to dinner and there's a pause in the conversation, who doesn't pick up their phone? Of course. So right. there's. I mean, in the classroom, if I pause for a second, you know, and I'm doing something else that's not really right in front of them, they're going to click over and game for a second. It's crazy. Yeah, and um, and because that's hard. They beat the server because they figured so it bright. out, and they're oh, very really? bright. They're very bright, and and <clears throat> honestly, you know, we know that it's impacting the way the their brains are being wired. And it's hard to get off of that. And, you know, I would say in my classroom, the only way I know they're doing it is because I watch their hands. So right. it's a different motion on their hands. Than if they're writing. Than if they're typing. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Than if they're typing. <laughs> right. And right. they're not going, you know, they're typically remorseful. Like, I know, I know, you know, they, they can't control it. And that's what I feel bad about. Right. Because we've got to offer them tools to become aware mm-hmm. so that maybe they can you know have a little bit more self-control and maybe also model in ourselves like it makes me think about when I'm home with my daughter like maybe making sure that you know if something's not going on that I'm not reaching for my phone and that's the model of action but I think that there's lots of value in saying I'm also struggling as an adult because then there's no shame right and that's what I don't want kids to feel shameful that they can't control it because we've given them this piece of addictive technology and then said hey don't get addicted and also in your small little bodies know when to shut it off you know that's it's not fair and what do you mean when you say we're not talking about porn with kids i just think and i wish i could know exactly i was just listening to a podcast it might have been dr shafali i can't remember somebody was just saying that the statistics are like astronomical for the number of kids who have seen hardcore porn by the age of 10, 10. 11, and 12. I think they say something like 70 or 80%. I mean, it's crazy. And it's not soft porn. It's hardcore porn, which then is impacting the way they view relationships, themselves, women. Their masculinity. masculinity their everything. femininity. And nobody's right. talking about it. And so I, I wish I could remember, and maybe I'll, I'll let you know, and you can put it in whatever notes you have on the show. But mm-hmm. um, she was talking about the fact that you know, we have people come in all the time to districts that speak to parents. You know, we have parent nights. I don't know if your district is the same, but they, they do parent outreach programs where, sure. you know, they bring experts in to talk about, you know, technology and limits. And nobody's talking about porn. 
schools aren't talking about porn. They're not bringing people in to talk about porn. Right. You know, it's just not being talked about. My goodness. I know. And so when we don't talk about things, right. then we don't really know how it's impacting them. Right. And we, we're certainly not helping them through it. Right, 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 right. And then it becomes, you know, anybody's guess as to how it's impacting. So that's the mm. thing that I'm very so curious I, about lately. Right. And I'm happy to do with that. I'm impressed that you're putting it on the table today because then, you know, I'll bring it up to other teachers and I'm going to say, like, what are you seeing this and other parents and... And maybe it'll get the conversation going. I think that's one of the most incredible things about watching you in 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 starting the whole learner is that you're changing the conversation around what kids need in education mm-hmm. and what teachers need to deliver that mm-hmm. education. Um, and even like with me, like I'll be able to say tomorrow to somebody, you know, I had Erin on from the whole learner and she says, we're not talking about you know, gaming addiction or porn and like, what are you seeing about that? So it's, it's very powerful that you're bringing asking to the table. your kids, have you ever seen porn? Like, have you oh ever seen God. porn? I mean, it's like, I, I could get nauseous just yeah, thinking no, about totally that conversation. Nauseous. But it's true, right? But now Be- I have to ask. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think that there's a lot going on there that we're not really acknowledging. Right. Because we, it's, it's so overwhelming. How do you get in front of it? Right. Right. I mean, we're already behind. So... So as you're making this impact in the classroom and as you're making this impact with teachers, what's next for the whole learner? What's coming up? Oh, for me, yeah. I am offering my very first solo summer workshop. So that means I'm not working for a district or with a district ne- necessarily, but I'm hosting my own workshop Oh, cool! called Refresh, Re-Energize, Reboot. And it is going to be in August of this year, trying to mindfully help teachers uh, start their year. That's yeah. amazing. So I'm excited about so that. So it's for teachers, but can I go? You sure can come. <laughs> <laughs> it's personal development, so it's really for anybody, right? right? So it's like a good jump start for the school year. Yeah, that's why that's I'm doing it. That's amazing. Yes, because we want to start off right, right? Teachers, yes. listen up. Uh, I'm getting closer to the mic. Listen <laughs> up. Thank you. Because, you know, we. It, I mean, July, we see a lot of teachers here at the spa and um, July teachers are happy. First two weeks of August, teachers are happy. Yeah. Those last two weeks, like, the dread. Oh, of course, it's like a bad Sunday in. night. So, as but I want sp- teachers to know that this is not, you know, one more thing to do in the classroom. This is for them. It's Very not cool. for their students. If it reaches their students, that is an unintended, you know, no, bonus. it will. That's but why it's working. It's for them. Yeah, right? to take care of them before they start the school year. Oh, that's great, Erin. Thank you. I'm so impressed. Well, we'll put in the notes where to find you, how to get to you, and everybody should tune into your podcast. You have a podcast called The Mindful Educators Podcast. I do. Where you talk about education. Yeah, and mindfulness and school culture and creating communities. And we're just trying to, you know, create a group of people that are really – um, supportive of positive school cultures and mindful classrooms, mindful schools. You have a co-host, right? Yes, my husband, Dave. Who's also an educator. He is. Which is very counselor. cool. Yeah, really cool. And we're very different, but we have the same beliefs around education. So mm-hmm. it's it's a nice, um, I feel like we work nicely together because mm-hmm. we're, we're different. You, you have know, different approaches, but Different approaches, the same different values. energies, but yeah. the same ideas. Yeah, same values. Aaron. I like the way you said that. 
thank you so much oh, for being here for and me. for sharing your whole story. Thank you. Even the tough parts. Thank you. I um, appreciate it. I know that your impact will be vast with thank both you. kids and teachers. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, friend. Thank you for showing me the way. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Luminous Life Podcast. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And to check out all things Beauty Skin Soul, you can find us at www.getluminous.com. See you next time.